This episode is brought to you by Indie Insights. Indie Insights is our bi-weekly newsletter and love note to the film industry, movies, and the creatives that make them, not to mention you, our esteemed listeners. Inside, you'll find curated industry trends, articles, exclusive commentary, and underappreciated films from filmmakers like you worldwide. And the best part is that it is completely free. So join today at www.bonsai.film. It takes just a few seconds. And once you sign up, you'll get the very next newsletter on Friday morning. It's that simple. Go to www.bonsai.film to get Indie Insights, our bi-weekly newsletter, and join a network of film creatives just like yourself. And don't worry, we'll never sell your information or spam you with a bunch of nonsense emails, just the bi-weekly film industry goodness you need. And if you ever tire of Indie Insights, simply unsubscribe. No gimmicks, no games. So go to www.bonsai.film to get Indie Insights for free. Listening to Make It, a podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps creatives in film get where they're going faster by sharing the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives across the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley. Hi, I'm Frances Hernandez, and I am a production designer, art director in the film industry. And I thought you may know me for uh, Spider-Man No Way Home. Uh, and I'm currently on a big uh, Star Wars series project that I will hopefully not <laughs> talk too much about because there's a lot of secrets. But um, yeah. Frances Hernandez, welcome to the Make It podcast. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. I'm equally as, ex- equally as excited. And I'm curious now, see, now you've piqued my interest. What can yep. you tell us about the Star Wars series? So, yeah, well, they, it's, a, it's a known project that's been announced. Um, it's Ahsoka mm-hmm. and, uh, with Rosario Dawson. And um, I'm really, really happy to be a part of this, this one. Um, I love this character. I love the story. And uh, I don't, I think that's about all I can say about it. (laughs) (laughs) Are the the NDAs very serious there? Oh, they are. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, um, it's a really exciting project and they did a big, uh, if you want to learn anything about it, they did um, some interviews and some things at celebration recently, which is their big conference. And um, there's a lot of things online, but uh, I got to keep my secrets close to my chest. So totally understand it, but I know it has to be a thrill for you growing up a massive star Wars fan. Yes. Oh my gosh. I am a huge star Wars fan. It's one of those credits like with Harry Potter or any of these sci-fi fantasies that you're just like itching to be a part of. Um, and I, I come from humble non-film background. So to enter this industry and to kind of 
be blown away about how things are done. And then now you get to be a part of it is, is unreal. So do you seek it out as, as work because you are such a super fan or did they find you based on your work on the Spider-Man films? I think, uh, so I, I, it was really connections. So anything in this industry is like who, you know, right. So, um, I, and timing, and it just happened just to time out that I knew somebody who was starting it and was able to jump on this one. So you're, you're kind of, I'm a big, put it out in the universe type person. And I've always wanted to do, um, fantasy sci-fi work and, uh, but you never know what's going to come your way. So you just kind of have to be patient and, and hope that the timing plays out. And I got lucky enough that it did. So, um, yeah. Well, you talk about the universe, uh, seeing things through for you and you are certainly that spirit. <laughs> I think what this audience is going to find out today is that we've not interviewed anyone like you, uh, in the history of this podcast, uh, you, uh, are an adventurer, you're wild at heart, <laughs> you're technical and you're determined so you are ambitious. A lot of times you get a person who is sort of that wandering soul. They don't have your level of ambition uh, to couple with it. And so we are in for a treat today. By the way, I yeah. saw on your social media that you have the Holsty Manifesto somewhere on your wall at, in your house. Do you still Wait, have what it? Is this? The, the poster that's right behind me that says, this is your life. Oh. I do love that quote. It is one of my favorite quotes of all time. I, I do have a frame. I, where did I, it's, we just moved or we moved in the fall. So it's somewhere around here. It's actually a lot smaller than yours. It's this frame that I keep on my desk. Um, I probably need a reminder than you, which is why I got mine giant size. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And I love that. I, I am reminded by it. I was like, Oh, there you go. So yeah, yeah I, it's a good I, mantra. It's a good reminder. What, what, uh, how'd you find it? How did you come across the Halty Manifesto? You know, I, I, so my background's in graphic design and it's obviously a, uh, text based poster design and that kind of caught my eye. Um, and then when you read it, it's just hit, every word, every sentence just hit home. You're like, it just every, you know, sometimes when you go through these quotes or poems or any kind of literature, you may get sidetracked or distracted from the greater message. And for this, it just kept hitting home. So uh, I probably found it in like, like right after college, you know? Uh, and that's kind of the time where you're kind of like, what am I doing <laughs> with my life? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I just have always kept that close to me. So, yeah. Are you still in LA? I heard you say you, yeah. you just moved. Okay. So you moved, but you moved in town. Got it. Yeah. We moved in town. We were in Venice and uh, we just moved uh, to Inglewood. So Ooh, uh, sweet. yeah, I, I love that. And I, I, you're so right about the Holsty manifesto. I am kind of wary of art in people's homes that is text-based. Mm. You, feel free to judge <laughs> you mean me. like life feel, is beautiful <laughs> yeah uh, or like uh life is about the moments not how many breaths you take but the moments that take your breath away like oh man i i'm from i'm from north carolina so you go into my mom's home and you're gonna get some good old <laughs> home sweet home southern cooking is where it's at you know cheese ball text wooden plaques right like yeah. I was going to say, judge me as you, as you will, but it's just a personal fit. Here's the deal. They were all great at one point. Like Absolutely. when Will Smith said that in Hitch, I was mm. like, oh. <laughs> I was like yeah. blown away. But then when like every 
housewife in the South put it on their wall, I was like, oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, I mean, you can't ever take it too seriously. I mean, you, it's seriously in the sense that, like, everybody has it. Okay, cool. But it, there's some truth to it if everybody has it, you know? There so. is truth to it. But then it sort of becomes a commodity, like, ceases to be oh, yeah. like those Ray Dunn glasses and coffee mugs. Everybody <laughs> yeah. buys at the TJ Maxx. It's like, if yeah. everybody has it. You know, and does it muddle the message? Yeah. And so for me, even though the Holstein manifesto is a text based piece of graphic artwork, it is powerful and not a lot of people have it. Like I was mm -hmm. surprised when I saw you show it on your social because I was like, oh, she gets yeah. it. She's part of the tribe. <laughs> she's yeah. Part of, she's part of the Holstein tribe. You also uh, was were a production designer on one of my favorite videos which is love for that uh, with Shura. Yeah. And, uh, well, I guess it's by Mira Massa, but Sh uh -huh. Shura's the feature on that and like singing. Yeah. And mm -hmm. that video is incredible. We'll have uh, Elise, who does our show notes for us, put that in the show notes, both that and the Holsty Manifesto, so this audience knows what the hell we're talking about. But yeah. this video was so cool. And uh, now in music videos, production design is even sort of more important, more salient. Mm -hmm. This thing was almost all that. I did, what role did you, did you play every role? Like, was it your idea to do the chain to have the two protagonists yeah. chained together and everything? Yeah, I think it's, um, yeah. So my job started with, okay, we know we want to shoot this video in one take, right? It's a one shot. Uh, that is video. a one shot video. Yeah. So uh. we had to find a location that allowed us to move throughout a space freely, but also give us some interesting looks in each room that was telling a story. And then I love telling stories through music videos, through, through scripts and films and features, obviously. But, um, when you read when you listen to that music and I was talking to the director about, um, kind of what, what props or ideas can we bring to help tell that relationship in that music video and, and who, the, who directed that, it? Um, oh, that, it was a very long time ago. Um, yeah. I'll have to, dive back. It was Sharif. Uh, one of my good friends, Sharif was a producer on it. Um, it was his classmate, I believe who directed it. Um, I'm sorry. My name, my mind is completely That's all good. We'll, we'll find it and throw it in the show notes as well, but go ahead. Can, uh, sorry to interject. Go ahead. No, you're good. Um, but yeah, working with them and trying to create that visual of tension and that kind of chain and then how they used it in the choreography was really fun. Um, yeah, it was really fun to try to frame them with that prop and in the set that we, that's the house that we found and how can we turn each room into that, like framing of their relationship and how they move throughout the space. So the neighborhood looked like East Nashville to me where like yeah. <laughs> where all the artists live in, in town. Yeah, actually it was, um, it was right by my new house that I live in now. It's a uh, kind of West Adams area. So it's yeah. LA for Oh, I wouldn't is. have yeah. guessed that at all, but it, yeah. it, it was, a, it was a cool neighborhood and I love the metaphor in it. it felt like, you know, the mm -hmm. part where they're dancing, that's when they're making love and the relationship's good. And yep. then things start to get weird in the middle and, and then yep. it ends sort of in the climax of that, of that breakup. Um, yeah. and, and she's ready to, to, to dance somewhere else. Uh, so much props to you because that video well, was that you've seen it. Yeah. That means yeah. a lot. Yeah. It was one of my early projects. So I, I came out here to LA. Um, I never went to film school. So I kind of just jumped in the industry in North Carolina. Um, and 
got on one movie and I fell in love with it. I was like an, a PA and I was like, this is amazing. I got into the art department as a PA. So I was like, even I got to learn from some artists. My background was in graphic design. So I just fell in love with everything. And when I moved to LA, I realized I'm surrounded by all these film students. And I didn't even know about film school growing up. Like I was a ball player. I played basketball in college. So for me growing up, it was all sports. Um, and I couldn't separate sports and art. And then afterwards, um, in my mid twenties, I just didn't know what I wanted to do. And finding the art department in film allowed me to release this creative energy that I've had for so long. And, uh, but when I got to LA, it was all these film students and I didn't have that, you know, education that they had. So I needed to just pretend that I was like, Hey, I want to design some of your short films. Let me design some of your student student yeah. work. Like yeah. let's have fun. And, and I was like, I love designing. I love people. I love working with a team and that create bringing those creative ideas to life. So, um, finding these music, these small music videos to start, uh, became my bread and butter early in my early days here in LA. So yeah, and you you did brilliant work, and uh, the rest is is history. As we see, uh, you know, going calling back to the Star Wars series you're getting to work on. Uh, but I uh, want to take us back in in time a little bit. You've talked about North Carolina a few times, and obviously there are some big cities in North Carolina. Like I particularly love Asheville, but you grew up in the woods. <laughs> the sticks, they call in, it. In North Carolina. <laughs> so, can you talk to me about your life? growing up in the woods in North Carolina, what does that mean? You grew up in the woods. Can you explain sort of for yeah. this global audience, what the mountains and the Appalachia of North Carolina are like? Yeah. So we, we call it the sticks. <laughs> it's a bunch of trees everywhere. It's so green. Um, we lived on at the end of like a dead end road and it was actually called sleepy hollow. So it was kind of spooky. Wow. It was like, uh, it was owned, the property used to be owned by this one family, like in the, in the South, you got families and all of their siblings and cousins and nephews, like they all live in this, that street that they created. <laughs> and uh, okay. there was this offshoot to that street that was sleepy hollow. It had nothing to do with the family or anything, but we bought this house at the end that was nestled in the woods, right on a pond. And I, it was an amazing, you know, at the time when you're a kid, it's an amazing place to grow up. You're running around in the woods, you're building forts, you're exploring, you're being adventurous in high school. You kind of are like, Oh, what am I doing? Like, there's nothing to do here in this small town except go to movies, which I spent all my teenage years. That's all I did was go to movie to the movie theater. We had a movie theater in town and that was and drive a movie theater, trucks and everything. Like it was, that's, that was what I did in high school is the only thing to do in high school. So, um, but when you're young and I feel like you, I, I didn't have a lot to do. Like we didn't have good Wi-Fi. We barely, we had like dial up, you know, if you, for anybody don't know what that is, it's a lot of annoying sounds as your internet kind of boots up to your phone line. Yep. And, uh, yeah, I just couldn't, I, there, it leaves me like, so then what do you do? And I drew a lot. I tried to be creative and use my imagination and hikes and forts and trying to build little teepees in the woods. And you start to create cool. this. Um, yeah. You start to create your own stories, you know, cause I had me and my sister, but she was five years younger. So um, yeah, you kind of are just creating some little adventure life as a kid. Um, Is it possible to do great work without isolation? It's a good question. Um, I think it is. I think that you can be inspired by different experiences that guide or kind of morph you. 
Um, I think of great artists like Basquiat who just grew up into that New York, Brooklyn scene and was inspired by what he was surrounded by, which is chaos, right? Like New York in the eighties was just pure chaos. But then I think of people who are isolated in the farmland or whatever, also creating art. And it's a lot different, but I think you just have to pull from your different experiences and try to find a story and a meaning, whether that's in nature or a city, you know? I wonder if, if you have a chaotic upbringing like Basquiat, do you have to do your work in isolation for it to be great? Mm. You have to steal away and, or, or is it one of these things where if you grew up around it, you're just used to it. And if you grew up in isolation, you're a lot better when you get to be isolated in your creation. Like, do you like to go to a coffee shop to work for yourself or do you like to be mm. in your own space? That's interesting. Um, yeah, I think it's a little bit of, for me, it's a bit of both. I think it's all subjective to the person. Um, I tend to feed off of other people. So that's why I kind of moved away from graphic design, which is a very much in front of my computer in an office by myself, either at home or somewhere else. And it was very, it's very isolating. Yeah. And in North Carolina, actually, the older I got, I, I feel like I got to a level where it was hard to get inspired when I'm just in my own space entirely. Mm -hmm. um, and I wasn't growing as an artist. And so when I got in the film industry, it opened my mind away from not just graphic design in print and in branding, but also graphic design and film. And so like signage yeah. that you see in movies and TV and, and props that people hold, like you can design that creatively. And, and it just opened my mind to a different kind of, um, of art and graphics. So I think that sometimes it's good to get out of your comfort zone to try to, to try to come up with your best work, you know? Um, yeah. so I think it's a bit of both for sure. Yeah. It's, it's a great point. I, I used to, say that I would love to work in coffee shops, but that's mostly because I'm addicted to coffee. But, but <laughs> yeah. it, it is it is more of what you're saying, the energy of others, somehow I'm able to siphon it. Yeah. I don't know if it's a superpower. I don't know if it's everybody can do it. But for me, if a person walks in the room with a certain type of energy, I can actually grab it. And I can I internalize it and funnel it. And it's 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 this really weird thing that happens. Um I think that's a superpower for sure. It might. Yeah. <laughs> it, could, it, it could be. And, and I tend to, like I did almost all of my college papers in the craziest coffee shop at the time in town, which was this, you know, 24 hour coffee shop named Cafe Coco. And it just had the weirdest mix of people ever because it's, it, it was in the middle of downtown, but next to a Christian college. So you would have like very religious students yeah. mixed with transgender people, party goers, uh, yeah. druggies, artists, yeah. musicians, and how they all just mixed together in the Bible Belt was, I felt, I just thought it was fascinating. And, that is very fascinating. Yeah. And I wrote great stuff being in there because of that. I, I really feel like that was a big part of it. Um, speaking of... Uh, that sort of integration of ideas. You mentioned art and sports being specifically basketball, which I love. I've played that my whole life. I still play two times yeah? a week. All right, let's go. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, that being sort of binded together for you uh, growing up, were either of your parents 
athletic or particularly artistically inclined or were they both? You know, my dad drew, he was always sketching. He taught me how to draw, like just with pen and paper and, um, or pencil and paper rather. And, but, um, but my dad's Filipino. So in terms of like height or athleticism, you know, I, I guess I would get kind of from my dad, but also like, he's not the tallest man on earth. And right. how tall are you? And my mom, I am five, nine. Okay, good. So, That's pretty tall. Yeah. And it's good to put that, uh, in the podcast world, you know, <laughs> you never know about height. You always hear voices, but, uh, I'm tall for a girl, you know, I'm trying to hold yeah. my own. Um, but, uh, yeah, my dad taught me how to draw and then, uh, but the Filipinos love basketball. And so I think I that, that I, yeah, yeah. I used to coach over there and, and to, there's nothing cooler than to watch. If you walk the streets of the Philippines, you're going to see kids with no shoes on, no food, but they are, they got a basketball. That's the one thing that they'll have. Um, it's just life over there. Um, and I think that I somehow genetically inherited that, whether I knew it or not, it yeah. just came a part of me and, uh, my grandfather played. And so I knew about it, but, um, I had to make it my own identity being where we were in the South. So, yeah, but, uh, well, in terms you, of artistic, was it yeah. you just picking up a ball and saying, this feels right. Or was it your dad or mom pushing you into the sport and finding, and you finding out you were just sort of naturally good at it? My parents pushed me, they put me into every sport, right? So they tried, <laughs> they tried everything and they yeah. were just kind of like, they, they definitely took a step back and just wanted to see what stuck. And, um, soccer was a big one. And then basketball really, uh, I connected with, um, and then it's really, so yeah. And I just took, I took on basketball, but I wasn't sure about it. You know, I wasn't sure if I was any good. And in middle school, this is a fun story in middle school, I, was in seventh grade, which is when you start, it was like just starting seventh grade. And my basketball coach, tall, like coach Carter complex, like gator, alligator skins, shoes and suits every day to work comes up to me like scary. And I'm like, Oh, who is this guy? Hands me a VHS tells me I'm the one and walks away. And I'm like, I'm a seventh grade. Like, what is this VHS movie? And I'm like, I go home and I watch it. And my dad's like, Oh, this is the matrix. This is a really good movie. And I'm like the matrix. I might, and then you watch it. And at the time when I'm seventh grade, I was terrified of that movie. I was like, what is it? It's so weird. And oh my gosh. And and I shrug it off and I go to play, but uh, I try out for the team and I I make the team and ever like, since that day, he hands me that VHS. He just poured in that confidence of like, you're going to be, you can be the one you can make it. You can get out of here. You can be anything you want. And, um, and so from that moment on, I just hung on to, to, to basketball. I was like, all right. And then when I, you know, I just had to put my mind to it and I just dedicated everything to, to the sport. So it's remarkable the way we internalize compliments and belief when someone who doesn't owe us love had life, not death. Yes. Yeah. Had your mom or dad handed you the VHS, it wouldn't have triggered anything for you. I believe. No. Yeah. yeah. It was just the yeah. fact that it was this guy that was a basketball yep. coach, tall, didn't mm-hmm. have to love you, right? Didn't have yeah. to like you and right. saw something in you. And then it That's triggered. And, and just to catch the audience, so the reason we're talking about basketball so much here, I know. <laughs> Francis isn't just like a girl who played basketball. She ended up playing professionally in Kuwait <laughs> and uh, had a ride to North Carolina and. Uh, has spent a lot of time in, but she's, she became uh, a true baller. And Thank uh, you. by the way, what are your, 
What are your feelings on um, folks that can only see points as valuable in basketball? It just drives me crazy. Like Ooh, I, I, I don't, oof, it drives I, me crazy too. I, I've played <laughs> I've played this game so long, and mm-hmm. and I've been I've started to understand like the the glue um, that 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 sort of keeps winning together that that the elements mm-hmm. sorry that binds the the elements of winning together yes points is big because you have to have one more point than the other team yeah. but if you look at where those points come from those don't show up on the stat sheet unless it's rebounds or stills but there are all these little things that are happening where you're a heady IQ type you know basketball IQ type player that allowed the rebound to happen or created yeah. the pressure that tur- caused the turnover. And I look, I can see those players like oh, right man. away. So people say yeah. I'm crazy when I tell people Draymond Green is the leader of Golden State. Yes. yes. And LeBron James may, may not be the best basketball player of all time. I'm sorry. I just said it. We can edit no, Michael that Jordan out. Is, of course. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and, and, and here's the reason why he was, he, he leads differently. Yes. Yes. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's fair, he right? Leads we- differently. He, he, find, he has a role and he understands his team as a whole and the roles that it takes to win a championship and a game and they fulfill their roles individually and he empowers them to, right? Like that's the secret. You need to empower your team. And that's something from basketball that I've taken into to what I do as a production designer. Like I'm only as good as people around me. Yeah. So, I mean, it, you just learn so much from sports and I'm, yeah. I, side note, did you see, do you follow the Drew League? Have, do you follow LeBron oh, James? I heard that Kyrie's going to play in the Drew League. That's So LeBron played yesterday. Yeah. In the Drew League. And yeah. everybody's talking about it. 42 points, triple double, yada, yada, yada. They won by two points to a team that had no <laughs> NBA players. And I'm like, can somebody explain to me how the best basketball player in the NBA just won a pickup game by two points? Yeah. You yeah. know, it goes to show like those stats aren't as cool as everybody says. They. I mean, yeah, it's cool individually, but yeah. it ain't going to win you a championship. The, the Russell Westbrook, James Harden problem. Right. I mean, right. if they're, if, if they're, if they have the ball the entire time, they're going to get stats. Yes. They're yeah. going to get yeah, like, can, it's yeah. just inevitable. Like, and you know, well, what about the rebounding? Well, you know, if you're shooting a shot as a pro player, like Russell Westbrook, you kind of know where you miss. Right. And it's easy to follow your own shot, especially when you have such great bounce and athleticism like him. So it's mm-hmm. just, it's, it's a padding kind of feel to me. Whereas uh, the player I'd followed the last two years and he made a little bit of news this, this summer is DeJounte Murray. Oh yeah. I look at that yeah. kid like, Oh my God, that kid uh, does everything good. Like he just, yeah. he, like, he's a yeah. weird player, really weird yeah. rangy player. Yeah. Does a lot of weird things and does all of them well. And um, quietly like, Will's a really bad team to 40 wins somehow. So um, it's, it's, I'm fascinated with those kind of players, not to take anything away from the LeBrons of the world, uh, but I I look at the leadership style and just coming from my background too, the difference is communication and in film to segue to that. It's the same to your point. Like you have to be able to communicate 
effectively, and it's literally the difference between high morale on a set or high output and, and, and maybe someone getting like, think about the Alec Baldwin Russ situation. Like mm-hmm. someone got shot and killed and it was all communication. Right. It was all right. a lack of clear use of words and language. Mm-hmm. And the end result is someone died. Yeah. It's too real. I mean, we so much overlook that simple aspect of communication that it can make a show life, anything just go a little bit easier. If we all just like listened a little bit harder and communicated a little bit better and just had some forgiveness with each other, you know, it's like we so much hold too much pride and it's like, gotta let that go sometimes. So yeah, 100, 100%. And the, the value we place on training around communication, like, that's why I always say there's you know, parents will say, well, I don't want to put my kids in sports and sports is for Neanderthals and whatever the <laughs> other thing is. It's like, no, no, you don't understand what happens to a kid when they grow up in a team environment and everyone's counting on them. Yes, yeah. there's pressure. Yes, there's downsides. Yes, there's shitty coaches. Yes, there's uh, shitty teammates. But people who come out of sports tend to lead in other industries and tend to right. be great communicators and empathize right. and understand the difference between a reason and an excuse. That's highly nuanced. Yeah. Do you ever find that you come across in like the film industry or the creative industry, a lot of athletes? I do find that. Yeah. Okay. I do. I do. I do and I find uh, in, in my life in business, it seems like half, it seems like, half athletes or just achievers in general. Uh, yeah. my, my, my business partner, Nick, mm-hmm. he always says how you do one thing is how you do everything. And I love repeating that, like that. because it's yeah. true. Like if you find someone who's like this incredible investor or incredible CEO or incredible filmmaker or incredible director or whatever producer, what you'll find out is they did great on grades. Yeah. They were an awesome athlete. Yeah. They cared about this, this, this. Yeah. Uh, they have these hobbies that are like outrageous. For example, on the weekends, they run ultra marathons, those hundred mile marathons in Colorado. You're like, that's just too, they're just wired like that. But I don't know if they were Eagle Scouts. Like, I don't know if that's, they were wired that way or they were, they, they were raised in that sports and team environment where um, being successful collaboratively mattered right, uh, right. through your individual effort right yeah i think you, you get you get wired that way through sports but then i think we have to continue to be rewired because <laughs> good point like you, you kind of you know you kind of forget or you'll get around a different environment that tries to, that tries to push you out of your comfort zone or that might you know and you've got to remember where you come from you got to remember like what you need to do and Yeah. For me, like in arts department or in the film creative side of the film industry, I don't meet a lot of athletes, which is funny. And I've always felt like I've had to separate the two. Like if I try to bring up basketball at work, people are like sports and I'm like, Oh yeah. 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 So (laughs) like on set or like in general, like the, the creative or the more creative side, um, with my fellow art directors, uh, I was just going to say that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Technical, um, prop masters, set, set decorators, you know, it's like some people will get it, but for the most part, it's a, it's a different world for them. And, and, it, and I get it. Let me amend to it. <laughs> Actors, art department, oh, yeah. 
Yeah. No, almost yeah. never. Yeah. They were almost <laughs> always theater. Yeah. Uh, high school. Yes. You know, like, and, you know, while someone was playing sports, they were doing the theater, right? Yeah. Producers, which is yes. the side I'm on most often. Okay. And, and investors, yes. Yeah. So that's where yeah. I run into them. It's like, oh. I like it, yeah. So no, there is kind, kind of, of uh, and I like the idea that it takes two types to make it all happen in film. I enjoy that. Right. No, like, it does take all the types. Um, I actually got, like, last summer I worked on House Party oh, yeah. with a director named Calmatic. Mm-hmm. And so that's coming out soon. Um, everybody's got to check that out. Congrats, uh, yes. And it was fun because you had a little, LeBron James actually was in our movie. So <laughs> as much as I've separated myself, I'm pretty much tied to <laughs> Um, and, uh, it's a, it's going to be a fun story, but it was cool to work and tell stories of kind of the same, um, identities that you can relate to, you know, the struggle of like, oh, I play ball, but I'm also trying to make it. And I'm trying to be doing something musically or creative and, and how, uh, how does that work? And so it's fun to actually read a story and read a script and, and work with directors and producers who you vibe with, right. Who are like, this is, this is what we understand each other's language. Yeah. Um, so I think that's, that it was really cool. And, um, and after that, I was able to do a couple of commercials for Nike and the NBA that, I mean, dreams level reached, you know, yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. all right, <laughs> I, I, I don't know how better to mend my two fields, you know? <laughs> so. Yeah. You've done a lot of that in your life. I mean, just looking at the places you've traveled to, it's, it's um, unbelievable. You've been all across the world and you're still in search of more and more memories and places. Um, you uh, quoted or wrote, I love traveling. It creates all sorts of romantic stories, some hopeful, some lost. And that's from a poem you wrote called uh, named Hopeless in 2016. And I am curious if you can share and wondering if you wouldn't mind sharing some of those hopeful and lost stories. I, oh man, you just went deep into the archives. <laughs> no, that was good. Um, man, when I, before I, before I got in the film industry, before I turned 25, I, I didn't live anywhere longer than six months. And, wow. um, but being from the South, you know, I was, I'm accustomed to, uh, connections and people that, you know, and, and that family type vibe with folks and traveling with basketball and just for me in general with work and trying to figure out what, who I am in this world and how I fit in. Um, I think that I was constantly searching for that love and that, that home feel Mm -hmm. and constantly getting broken and challenged at the same time. Um, because you're, you, you would feel it for a second, whether it's with the person that you meet at a hostel or, a basketball camp that I did in the Philippines, like you, you, for a second, you find these sparks and then you turn the corner and you're like, I can't read this sign. It's in a different language. Where am I? Oh my gosh, I'm lost. Like, and you get pulled out. And I think that it was just, it's this dance of, of love and trying to find, trying to find love for you in this world, right? Like, what does it mean to you and how is it going to pre- present itself to you when you're in different um, uncomfortable places or, or countries that you're not used to. But I also was addicted to that, right? Like I was addicted to, to both of those. Um, I mean, but I think it was cause I didn't, I also, sometimes when I was traveling, like I didn't, I, I was addicted to that, but I also was missing this, um, kind of creative career 
like, what can I, I'm not, yeah, sure. I'm, I'm having fun. I'm on these adventures and I'm falling in love and I'm, I'm lost and I'm, I'm doing the wrong thing and I have no money. (laughs) And, (laughs) And then, uh, and for me being an athlete, you know, I was taught to just figure out what you want to do and then you do everything to get there. Right. Yeah. And so for a while before I found the film industry, I think I was constantly searching for that as well. So, um, and then I found the film industry when I was 25 and the rest is history. I was like, all right, here, let's go. Let's, this is a new thing for me. It's like a circus. I love the circus. Let's figure out how let's learn it. Let's, let's just jump in. So for the past like seven and eight years, that's what I've been doing. I read five or six of your poems and there seemed to be a, a common through line in all of them, which is this enduring question of the creative, which mm-hmm. to me is, do you allow yourself to fall in love with anything permanent or do you fall in love with the idea of impermanence. So like Mm. this desire to move about is typically thwarted by the fact that you fall in love with someone who is not moving around, who has a home, who has a job, who has something right there. Or, you know, and it's like, Ooh, I could love you. I could be with you, but that is the kind of the end of my adventures and I'm having, I'm, I'm in yeah. love with these adventures right now. Yeah. And you know, it's funny, you're, you're giving an identity to that person and that person definitely existed. Um, but for me, it was, it was my alter ego or mm. I would say my, it was myself. Like I would be, I lived in Costa Rica and Panama for a year, these islands, tropical islands. It was like a beautiful commercial. Like, I mean, you couldn't make this up. It was just paradise. And yeah. I was uh, kind of a marketing graphic designer for this resort. And so my job was to just basically live it up with everyone else and get people to come to come stay with us. But after a year, I just kept imagining as fun as as much fun as I was having, I just kept imagining a different life. And I think part of it is the Southern culture that I was grew up in. Like I had fellow colleagues and friends who were having kids and getting married at 22. And I'm like, I know I don't want that. Um, I'm, I'm having fun, but I missed, a sense of that, that person, like loving that, that stability and loving that, um, familiarity that uh, I was missing. And, um, but you know, I think it was not, it's always, it's always nice to have the balance. And I definitely think when you're traveling, it's easy to miss home or miss where you come from, but you, you grow so much when you're there that you don't realize it in that moment. And now that was probably what, 10 years ago that, yeah. that I was in Costa Rica and Panama. And so looking back, I'm like, wow, like think about how much I grew in that year. It was miraculous. Like, and even if I was just thinking about this other self that I'm in love with, I'm glad that I, I stayed true to what I was doing. And the time came, you know, part of, part of our journey in life is just trusting the timing, right? Which is why I love that quote behind you. It's like, it, you never you can try to come up with a plan all you want, but, but you just have to trust the process and <laughs> love Joel and be for that. But it's like, trust the process, trust the flow and, and have faith that it's going to work out. And, and that's the way it should be, right? Like you are where you are and you are where you're meant to be at any given moment and you got to make the best of it. So, um, 
with basketball, it, it kind of stayed true. And with the creative industry, it's always been true. So it's just, it's hard when you don't see it, you know, it's hard when you can't see that bigger picture, yeah. but, um, doesn't mean you can't live in that moment of where you are in that moment. So, yeah, it's, it is weird. Uh, in life, you'll get told two things, live in the moment and be a long-term thinker. Well, those two things are contradictory. Yes. So the courage it takes to try to understand which one to deploy short-term thinking. So present thinking or who you want to be in five years is, is huge. Man, think about projects, right? What do we want to write next? What do you want to create next? What project am I going to say yes to? It's like so much anxiety just driving around those <laughs> concepts now. I'm like, right. You yeah. know, I'm going to take the rest of the year off. And then I get a call and I'm like right back in it, you know? Can't afford to miss that one. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's, it's wild. Um, you had a coach that kicked you off of a team. Did mm. you laugh or did you cry when you found out she was fired for giving her athlete steroids and other weird drugs. Ooh, let me tell you, <laughs> I revisit, uh, there's a lot of unpacked, emo well, there's some packed and unpacked emotions with, uh, with that incident. So yeah, I was a sophomore in college and, um, had started for this coach, but also sad for this coach. And it was a tumultuous relationship where there were a lot of players who, seemed to be going with this uh, process that this coach was wanting to implement. She was a new coach to our program. And uh, there's a lot of things that just, you know, it didn't make sense, but you're just trying so hard in that moment to just appease your coach, right? Like it's a coach. You're just like, I, I want to do whatever I can to make this work, but also I'm not trying to cross lines of what's inappropriate or what I don't believe in ethically. And there's things that you just didn't know about. And um, yeah. when I got released from the program, it was, huge because there was no reason why um it was uh, a lack of i think a part of getting on board of the system that didn't make any sense and there was a lot of weird stuff and then your teammates who did stay on the program are like hush hush and it's like what's going on like what is happening like why am i part and it wasn't just me it was half the squad that kind of it was just a whole restructuring and you're like who's why is she keeping these players and why are these players leaving and why, like, it just didn't make sense. And, the, and I blamed myself for a long time. And that, I think I, to this day, I'm like, what could I've done differently? Because in that moment, you know, I'm like, this is my, this is what I'm going to do for this. I'm playing the WNBA and I'm going to, I'm going to do all these things. And, and to get that rug pulled out from underneath you is it's, it was terrifying. And I, I cried my eyes out. I bawled and yeah. I, um, I wasn't, you know, this is part of that journey and trusting the process where I was so angry at basketball, so mad, but my coaches and all these people who told me like, you're going to make it and you're going to get out of here. They were like, I just feel like I owed so many people, so many things. So I went to like a D2 school or a, D1, a couple of D1s to transfer. And I tore my ACL at the first school doing a layup, like warming up. Just a regular and thing. That's how it always happens. Yeah. Like literally I wasn't doing anything, but to me it was the biggest sign of just like, I need a break, like screw this. I had my meltdown and I, I actually stopped playing for two years solid. I, I quit cold Turkey. I still coached and I still like worked out, but rehabbed my knee, but I didn't play collegiately. Um, so I had two years of college and then two years off. I, I became a snowboarding instructor, worked at a bar and, uh, you know, lived up college for two years. Cause I had never experienced it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, it was crazy, but I was so lost. Um, 
but I still trained and I still, you know, I, I kept in contact with a few people and sure enough, like a trainer that I worked with, he, he's the one who got me. He was like, you, you're really good. Like you should coach, like try it. Like you're great with people. You love kids, like try coaching. And so I did. And we started doing camps and clinics together. And then that led me to going overseas and coaching and then ultimately playing internationally. Um, and it's crazy how full circle it came. And so for me, that, that full circleness kind of allowed me to forgive basketball. I forgive my relationship with it and to amend, like amend it. Mm. Um, but my relationship with my coach didn't really like my, I'll never forget my senior year. This is when I knew that stuff was getting weird is my senior year, a week before I graduated, I just accepted that marketing job in Panama and Costa Rica. This is my senior right. uh, college coach calls me in same coach. She was there for two years, calls me in and says, uh, she will pay for my grad school if I stay. Cause I had eligibility, right? Mm, I had two yeah, years yeah. of eligibility. She's like, come, I, I, I know you haven't played in two years. I don't care. Like come play for me. And I'm like, so now I'm good enough. And I haven't played for two years. Like <laughs> what? And so it was like, not a question of, it was just so, but it was a strategic move. She was trying to play with this other shooting guard. And, but in the moment I was like, I actually, I sat down, I took the interview, I, I met with her and I asked her like, I can't, I don't remember the questions, but I, I asked her a few questions and I would just genuinely wanted to see if she would, if she felt any, like, like tried to get any kind of understanding and she was cold Turkey, no like remorse. No, no remorse and just didn't even look at me as a human more or less as like this object that she can fuel with come to find out steroids, which is terrified, like abuse. She was verbally abused. She was, she was just really tough. And I couldn't understand why. And, and honestly, I never understood, even in that moment when I wasn't proved that I didn't think she actually wanted me as a human. I was like, you know what? We're, I'm good. Like I have a whole life that I'm going to try to go figure out. Like, and so I walked away. I didn't play for her, um, went coaching overseas and had the opportunity to fall in love with basketball again, which, which meant more to me than, than, college or, you know, credentials or points or whatever. Um, I'm just glad I was able to, to, to find love in basketball again. But, um, but yeah, I think like when the news came out that she was arrested for steroids and abusing players and like, it all just made sense. So I had to, did you give it, well, was your reaction more tears or was it more like, no, it was just this calm, like, I feel like I had so many tears. I, I tend to show so much emotion when I don't have answers. Obviously I like to have answers. I like to know yeah. what's going on. And when you don't know, it's hard, you know, it's like you just start making stuff up and, and, and yeah, that's I know you blamed yourself for everything. So seeing yeah. that probably was yeah, it doesn't justify like attitude. You know, there's obviously I had a lot of, when sports, you have a lot of emotion and I'm sure I said things that I regret. I, I do. I still do like playing pickup or playing competitive <laughs> ultimate for soccer or whatever. You know, I'm like, I still play sports to this day and I get my, let my emotions get the best of me, but you know, I'm always trying to grow as a human and as a player and as a creative and, uh, but it's hard when you don't make, when things just don't add up, you know? So yeah. And it started to add up with, with what happened to her and, and my teammates actually came forth and some of them, like we all kind of stopped talking to each other, like all of us for years. Wow. Wow. And then, um, recently, like a few of, we all, there was, um, she tried to get, she tried to, she tried to get another job in the state and, um, not a few of my teammates actually signed a petition, wrote a petition. So to let that program know, like, she's not an okay person and coach, like, 
Cause the coach, so many that like people think coaches are just basketball or, or like play minded. Like when you coach a team and especially at college or high school level, like you are forming people, you know, it's not, it's, it's not just a job. It's like, we are forming people. And I had coached this spoke life into me. And then I had a coach like her that spoke, took it all away. Yeah. And, um, I think that it's hard when you try to live in both of those scenarios. It's like, how do we rise or how do you like remember where you came from? Maybe, I don't know. And so traveling, I guess I was trying to find that again. Um, Thank you so much for, for that. That's huge. And kudos for the courage to not take the college offer because when someone doesn't like you or has shunned you and then they're going to willingly accept you back, it's really hard to say no to them because you want them to be satisfied with you. You want them to accept you. And so I just, I think that strength really paid off. And, um, again, kudos on the courage. Thank Uh, you. Are you, uh, or do you mind answering a technical curiosity that I have? Sure. I have a technical curiosity. So on, Spider-Man No Way Home, this is one Mm -hmm. of those movies where the credits roll Mm -hmm. and they're like 10 minutes long. (laughs) They're so long. (laughs) Because there's like 50,000 people that worked on it. So from an art production standpoint, when you're getting art from all over the place and there's team A, team B, team C or whatever, how do you ensure that the art stays consistent? What is the trick? I've, I've... I'm curious about it. I've wondered about it for a while. Like how yeah, do you so, keep it all the same? Yeah. Well, that's what the designer's job is for. So our production designer on No Way Home was Darren Guilford. And if there's one thing he knows how to do, it's to put together a well, a well art directed movie um, through mm-hmm. color, through tone, through textures, through storytelling. Um, now with this movie and a lot of Marvel and superhero and, and Disney, you know, you, you're, the third film of a whole trilogy that's been happening. So there is a language that you're trying to, to upkeep, you know, um, right. you can't really go off the beaten track. Um, but the biggest thing is how do you bring it to life and uh, cohesively tell that story? So through the production designer who kind of creates that tone and sets that tone, you have these art directors. And I was one of four, I believe that just kind of, tells that story, right? Like you're coming in to, you get a, we kind of divide the sets, we divide and conquer, and we are the ones who make it happen. And we have to build it. We've got to pick out materials. We've got to pick out textures. And just like a coach trying to put together a team, you're trying to put together a really great cohesive team that can work together to get it done. And so we're constantly checking in with each other and seeing what other sets are looking like. And then you kind of want to bring that to your sets um, to bring it to life. So, yeah. If you pick, let's say, some different tones, colors, uh, pieces in production design that don't exactly match up Mm -hmm. and and don't seem to fit the larger project, how much power does the editor have to fix that mistake in in the coloring process and in post? Does that happen a lot? I mean, it depends on the type of show or like the size of the show. So, you know, these big budget features, they're going to spend their money elsewhere. Like what is more important, the tone of that chair color or the wall or, or the visual effect of this <laughs> yeah. like flying alien that's crashing through the window, you know? Um, right. 
I think so many things, especially me as an actor, I, I say this a lot sometimes, but I, I'm a imp- uh, imperfect perfectionist. So mm-hmm. I'm constantly focused. I want to be a perfectionist on things that matter. Um, so understanding what is in camera, what is in your shot, what is in your frame and really kind of dialing that in, um, to the best of your ability. Obviously we always want to produce a 360 set where somebody can walk in, but you're always with a time and budget constraint. So how can you focus that to the best of your ability? Um, right, right. and same goes for every department, you know, now you're looking at editing, which shots you're going to keep, which are the best ones. And then you go to the color and then visual effects. Um, and, you know, I think there are some things that visual effects departments clean up a lot of, of, uh, things, <laughs> but I think, um, that relationship in post, which is what half those credit names are, uh, a different, you know, I think there's three steps in filmmaking. You've got prep, you know, the shoot and your post-production and post-production takes on a life of its own. So I'm sure that the director has certain things that they want to change because in the moment it may not have been what he wanted, but, um, or reshoots, right. Reshoots happening on these big shows. And, um, you know, you just, you're trying your best in the moment. And if you, you want to really, as a designer, you're constantly right beside that director, those producers to try to be on the same page about what you're producing in camera so they can save the most money. Right. Um, and, uh, that's part of, that's the big part of our job, which is fun to figure out. It's a big puzzle, you know? Yeah. It's, it's a challenge. It's like, we have this much time. That's one of my favorite things, by the way, about making a movie. It's, yeah. we have this much time. So mm-hmm. principal photography is this much. We have this much money and yeah. we have this many hours in a day. How are we going to get it done? Right. Right. And I think you really, you're a writer, right? You write your, I have, I've written, I've written screenplays. I wouldn't say I'm a writer by trade. If I did say that, <laughs> yeah. I would say I'm a writer that doesn't write, which makes me like 80% of the writers that exist. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it's funny because we are writing a book right now. Uh, okay. I do write for this podcast. I do write for our website and, and for Bonsai Creative as a organization, but screenwriting, nah, not, not as much. Yeah. Yeah. I think when you're as a director or writer, when you're trying to pinpoint that story, it's like, I, 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 I relate everything to sports. So it's like, you're the point <laughs> guard, you're trying to use your peripherals and in one peripheral, you'll you see your best shooting guard. And then in the other peripheral, you see a post player who makes 50% of the shots. It's Mm. like, I'm going to try to pass it to that shooting guard who I know is going to make the shot. And it's like, that's kind of how you got to approach these, these creative decisions is like, what's my highest percentage of what's going to help tell my story. You know? So it's like, is that chair or that sofa that the actor is sitting on going to matter more? And it's obviously the the sofa. I'm going to spend more money on that. You know, I want to dial in that color. I want to make sure that we all are in love with it. Um, yeah. And, and it is, it's a tough choice because, you know, we have three feature films and worldwide distribution. We've done a bunch of short films. We give notes all the time and, you know, right. investors and producers and, and branding and marketing in particular for films and that strategy. And I have noticed the importance of production design and art design, because if it's not right, it actually pulls the viewer out of the movie. Right. Like, oh, I don't believe that. Yeah. And yeah. I can't get past it. Like, I know uh, that character's that's talking. That's me in cinematography, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Man. It's, it's, it's a problem, right? And it's funny because you, you can't really prioritize one over, over the other. It's like, okay, well, we're not going to fix this couch 
uh, we'll fix this part over here that could pull the viewer out of the story. Right. Why? Because we think this couch is still suspending the disbelief of the viewer. Right. Right. And sometimes like we do the best we're human, right? So sometimes we may get that couch wrong, but the, my whole thing is I want to give you as many things to play with as possible. Right. It's like, mm. I have, I have my, I have this here. I have this option, this option, this shot. You have room to tell a story because I've created a room that is around your character. So whether you put him on the bed, the desk, whatever, like as a designer, that's how I like to approach. Oh, that's work. brilliant. I like that. Like, so no matter where the character is, no matter what the rewrite is, the character's in their room. So it all fits. It's all going to work. There's a moment that tells that character's story, whether he's at his desk and you see a framed quote that is something he lives by or, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's his trophy or whatever. It's like on the other side of the room, it's like, you got to help tell the story in every inch of that room. And yes, there are certain things where you want to spend more money or, and I think too, you can think about it as sets. Like what are your more important sets than the sets where he's walking down the street? You know, yeah. it's like, I want to, moments like bedrooms and, and houses or like car. I mean, there's like certain things that you really want to develop and, and tell that story more in, in certain different spaces. Having worked on several big budget films, is there anything that happened or a moment that sticks out to you in your memory from your time on set, whether it be in the Spider-Man films, or what you're doing with Star Wars now, is there anything that sticks out uh, to you? As, as something we might not expect to mm, happen. Not as, yeah. Mm, oh, that's interesting. Maybe something we wouldn't anticipate that does actually happen or did happen. Oh, that's tough. I mean, there's always things that happen that you don't expect. <laughs> Every show, I'm like, okay, I didn't see that one coming. Um, well, on, uh, on House Party, I think this was common knowledge, but we recasted our lead actor half after half shooting halfway through the movie. Wow. Um, and to have, I've never had that happen before. And that was bizarre, but we had shot half the movie, half the sets, everything. Um, it wasn't working out with our main actor and they recasted, um, the main actor for someone else. And we had to continue shooting from the moment because we were already had our locations booked. We were there. Right. And so it's such a challenge on everyone in production to try to figure this huge problem out. And, we shot the rest of the movie with this new actor and then we had to go back and reshoot the whole first half of the film. So we had to go back and get these locations and redress them, which is a blessing and a curse. You're like, Oh, it's so much more work to add on to this crew. That's already tired. But at the same time as a creative, you're like, I can, I guess we can better improve it. You know, like what, yeah. Everything yeah. you did wrong the first time, everything yeah, you lost you sleep right. about, you already know you're good to go. Yeah. yeah. Which for the most part, we, we did the same thing. So it felt pretty like we didn't make too many changes, but, um, but that was a huge challenge. And to see our, our crew on that movie just come together and, and we did, we made it work. It's a beautiful, great film. So it's funny. It's hilarious. And I think the choices that we ended up making by the end of the movie are going to pay off. So. Heck yeah. And yeah, uh, yeah. as a fan of the first house parties, you know, I, I, can't, I can't wait. And yeah. uh, I imagine in that situation, the scripty is, on high anxiety, just like, like, like I, that job in any movie, it's so stressful, man. Like, how do we sink the reshoot? Uh, poor, poor yeah. guy that got that, 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 uh, got let go. Talk about fumbling yep. in the bag. 
man, yeah, it's all yeah. right in front of you and you, and you, you messed it up somehow. Um, I don't know. Speaking of things that you had, was that the most difficult? Cause I, I do have that question of like, which movies mm -hmm. have you worked on so far that have been the most rewarding or the most difficult to work on? So my niece actually just did a school project and asked me those two questions. Oh, wow. And my answer for the most difficult was, is I think by far the show that I'm on now. Okay. Um, the star Wars project. And when you get asked the most rewarding, my answer is also I'm a month away from finishing, but if, and when I can cross that line, it, this show will also be the most rewarding. Um, mm. uh, and for reasons of just getting pushed so far out of your comfort zone on this show, I've, I've been through and it's made me such a better, I think, art director and designer and just understanding how to work with so many different of high creatives, high, my, like, you know, just yeah, really yeah, yeah. brilliant creatives and just minds on the show has been something that I'm not, you know, used to just cause you're, you're in this bubble of, of people who like we I'm working with Dave Filoni, who is the writer and creator of clone wars and rebels. And he's created Ahsoka, And now he's the director of our show. And uh, Andrew, our production designer did jungle book and he's done the Mandalorian series. And so there's just so many brilliant minds on the show that it's like, you're constantly learning. You're constantly trying to please a lot of important people and you're constantly trying to pull it off. And, and then there's personalities and, and, just we, for an example, on the show, we build our sets somewhere else and we have to transport them here. So the technicalities <laughs> of how yeah. I not just build stuff in a normal world, but like yeah. I have to move things around and it's to work with so many different people who are really good at their job. That's, that's been really challenging, but also a blessing because you get to learn from them and figure out how they do it and how they want to do it. And, and you just add those tools to your tool belt. You know, as I go on to my next project, I'm like, I just picked up so many cool things from my toolbox. Like, let's go. Like, I feel, feel good about it, but it doesn't take away how hard it's been and how to just find those tools and which ones do you want to pick up? Which ones do you want to leave behind? You know, which ones do you want to learn from? Which ones do you, in both cases, good and bad. Um, it's interesting. Yeah. So I definitely think this, this, this project here is going to be my toughest and most proudful show. Yeah. It's, if you want to be a, a player, the fastest route is to play with other A players and uh, they'll, yeah. they'll, they'll pull you up. It won't be comfortable. Oh. Uh, there could be some embarrassing moments, but you yeah. will learn from them and be stronger. You've yeah. kept your toes in, in uh, creation as well. And, and trying to make your own thing, do wear some different hats. And in 2017, you wrote and directed a short film where the entire footage was stolen Oh man. This is unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> Can you just tell us what the film was about and, and yeah. did you ever find out who the asshole was that stole your movie? So, oh my gosh. So I, I write poetry as you could, as you've mentioned, and I haven't written lately, but I, I love writing like little snippets of moments that you feel. Um, for me, it was a lot in my twenties where I was just going through like, who am I? And what do I want to do with my life? And right. career wise, like you have so many questions. So this short film was kind of a self-reflective piece of a girl in her twenties who um, 
is going, she just ends a relationship or she's kind of ending this phase of her life. And she gets in her car and she's just driving because she's trying to get away from this town or city that she's in. And, and it's this, um, kind of a road trip, um, short film that is about, uh, this girl finding herself and what is some greater meaning, but it was, it was, there's no dialogue. It's all kind of backed by this poem that I I wrote about Mm -hmm. based for the piece. And, um, it's kind of, uh, her inner dialogue in three different phases of her life. And so she's, she's herself. So she's like mid twenties and she's driving up the PCH, but along the way she encounters different phases of her, her herself. So she encounters this, Yeah. So in the beginning she sees this little girl and it's actually her younger, it's her. She does it in the moment. She just doesn't know it. But, um, but it's that idea of like, when you're younger, you're like, you can be, you're fearless. You're like, you haven't learned, you haven't been hardened by life. You're just like, go for it. Jump off the cliff, go swimming in the ocean. Why not? Like, it's the question of why not? And, um, and it's beautiful because she kind of acts radically in that, in that first moment. And then in the middle, she meets her current self, which is questioning everything. Mm-hmm. She kind of encounters her. She sees this girl with this boy, with this guy and she's, uh, they're in a fight and she's just watching and observing, but it's a question of like, who, like, who do you want to end up with or who do you want to be? And, and it's just, it's a lot of questions in that middle frame of the, of the short. And then at the end, she encounters this wiser, older woman who tells her to slow down, like slow down, take a minute, breathe. And this actually happened to me. I was driving on the PCH one day and I pulled over because it was just, we, and I ran across the street and this old lady was sitting in a chair and I didn't see her. She turned and she's like, slow down, child. And she had this like way about it. She's like, slow down, child. Like, what are you in a hurry for? And she was just like, and then we just started talking. She was like, this view is amazing, isn't it? And I'm like, it is. And she's like, that's all it has to be. Like, just take it oh, in. Like, wow. yeah. you know, like stop searching for more than what you're looking for. Cause maybe it's right in front of you. Yeah. You know? And, uh, and I just, that calming, wiser, older self that we're all kind of going to get to at some point, I think, um, she sees in the end and kind of has this closure, but, um, but it was this beautiful thing that I just told everybody about, but, uh, I had it on two hard drives. I had it in my car. I was in downtown LA. I was actually a PA on another shoot. This is like early LA days. And, uh, someone had broke into my car, bashed the window and stole my bag. And I had a, I had two copies cause I was taking one of the editor and I was going to hold one for me, mm. but both were in the same bag and a bag got stolen. Holy. And, uh, I drove around downtown LA in the arts district skid row, like for days, I was just desperate. Like I didn't care about anything else. I just wanted to find it. Um, I never found it, but, uh, not to say that's, that, uh, that's heartbreaking. It was, but I think, um, it was, but it was, it was, I'm, I'm glad I could tell the story with the people that I did and it mattered to us. And I, I see, I look back at footage with, I made this with some really close friends. So, um, to Are you see, try to reshoot it, you know, maybe, Ever? maybe, yeah, <laughs> yeah, maybe I have a lot more, uh, it's, it, it's hard. Cause I, it would be really fun to reshoot, but I think I, I look at it entirely differently now because I'm in a different phase of my life. That's a great point. Um, yeah. As a, as a director, you know, if you're, kind of directing the piece, I would have to really step, take a step back into to where I was. But, um, so yeah, I don't know, maybe, or maybe I'll write something new. You never know. Yeah. It, it, your story reminds me of a revelation I had recently, which is that looking back on my childhood, that younger version of me, I think all I ever wanted to be was David Seville, which is <laughs> the chipmunk's daddy. Oh, well, I thought that David Seville was Alvin's daddy. 
And then I found out that no, he was just like their manager. And he the was just manager. All, yeah. yeah. He was just always over there. Like at <laughs> like the, the chipmunks were always at his house giving him hell. Yep. And it's like oh, that's I, I just always thought that Dave and Alvin had a father-son relationship because yeah. my manager, like if I make a mistake, my managers are gonna be like, Chris. Like he was like, <laughs> Alvin. And it was like, oh, that's his dad. Of course yeah. it's his dad. I don't know how he got these chipmunks. Yeah. But yeah. he's definitely their yeah. daddy. And no, the not dad. true. Not true. Are you a parent? Do you have kids? I am. I have three kids that I know of. There you go. And, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Alvin? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I have three kids, uh, ages 12 to 22. And they're great. Kids are great. And if I'd have known what I'd known now, if I'd have known back then what I know now, I would have probably had three more. Uh, I love kids. I think kids yeah. are awesome. And I, I probably yeah. would have, I probably would have doubled up because they, the thing that you don't know when you don't have kids is that the kid brings twice the value of the cost it has in for you and the environment. So whatever cost that human, uh, as long as like you, like if you, if you like mess your kid up when they're young, that might not be true. So like, uh, I've always said this, like people say, Oh, just do you be yourself. Well, if you're shitty, like stop being you, stop doing you um, like, don't do you. Like we wouldn't tell Hitler to just do you. <laughs> you know what I mean? yeah. People are like, Hey Hitler, uh, you're a little much. Yeah. yeah. Let's stop. Let's not do you so much. <laughs> right. So, but if you're, if you, if you're going to have kids and love your kids and they're going to grow up and be like productive, uh, members of society, so to speak, they're going to double whatever it costs you literally like money wise, dollar wise and whatever burden they might have on the environment. So uh, because of uh, their creativity and their sense of responsibility to the thing that can never be violated, which is your connection to nature. Yeah. They end up trying to care for that. That's the thing that's underrated is that somewhere yeah. deep down in our code is an understanding that we are connected to each other and to nature in a way that is unexplainable, but understood by the youngest child. God, that that's crazy to see it through their perspective as well. That's, yeah. that's good. I mean, or you could be creating a basketball team, but either, either one. Yeah. Yeah. Or a basketball <laughs> team. Yeah. But, but anyway, the whole thing about Dave Seville is he seemed like he just sat at home all day and wrote songs. I was <laughs> like, that's the life. And his house wasn't little. Yeah. Like, yeah. oh, Dave's yeah. got a nice little house. Look at his hair is perfectly combed. All he's doing <laughs> is writing songs. That's yeah. it. Yeah. That's, that's a dope life. Like, I I, I like yeah. that. So, yeah, here's to all the Dave Seville's out there. And the real Dave Seville, I think his name was Ross. Ooh, well, I'll have to put that in the show notes. It starts with a B. I don't think I can pronounce his last name. But um, he was the real Dave Seville. And he passed along, I guess, the rights to the chipmunks to his son, and then his son has had it for 50 years and they're all oh, like wow. mega super that wealthy now because, I didn't of, know because that of that, right? Manager either. That is funny. No. Yeah. Let's yeah, just, mean, between me and you, Francis, let's just keep it. Let's just, Dave yeah. is his, is their dad. Okay. For me and dad, you. Their father. Yeah. That's, that's their, <laughs> that's their father. Um, I, I, I do relate to your loss of this film. I mean, it's not even close to comparable, but I, I, I did lose a very rare case, stolen, bashed window from my apartment complex when I was 19, a very rare case of CDs. 
and they all had my initials CB on them in Sharpie. And no every time I go to a like a swap meet or a pawn shop, yeah. I am I look at the CDs to see if they say CB on them. That is crazy. Yeah. It is my belief that one day, unless they've been melted down, yeah, one day I will find these CDs because they have a thumbprint on them. Right. Right. I, you know, that's, that's good. I would, I, I believe it. I think that you would come across it. I also think that I would not be surprised if I saw it once, like somebody hopes somebody finds it, it falls into the hands of some filmmaker in LA. There's a bunch of them out there. So someone's going to hear it, this go and, ahead say, and edit it for me and uh, put it on YouTube. So uh, I can yeah. discover it, please. Someone's <laughs> going to hear this conversation and we're yeah. going to find your movie in oh, my CDs that. and yeah. we're going to, we're going to have a celebratory party. <laughs> um, and look, I, there, when I first got married, one of the things you have to do when you get married is you have to get rid of all your single guy shit. <laughs> like your single guy stuff has to go. Okay. You gotta, <laughs> gotta take this union seriously. Right. Uh-huh. So I had a box, Francis, I'm, I'm not kidding. This box was like this wide and this deep full oh. of like cassettes. Cause I'm a musician and I had recorded a bunch of like sessions, like friends that had passed away. Like we used to have ciphers where we rapped like for eight hours straight. We had mm-hmm. songs that we had written all this stuff and we had a garage sale. And for some reason she thought my personal box of cassettes was for sale. Oh man. And she sold my entire artistic past for $5. Oh. <laughs> so I know what your next question is. Are you still married? Yes. <laughs> yes. I am still married back. and yes, yeah. I have forgiven her, but somewhere yeah. out there, there's a man that has yeah. an outrageous and useless to him box yeah. of cassettes. Please return my box of cassettes. If you hear this somehow that right. would, and you know, return Francis's short film as well, please. Yeah, right. Return in the short film. The beauty is like, you can't erase what the music means to you. You know, no. I can't really, I can't ever. I, I love that short film. I love, I love that you asked about it. Cause I can retell the story. Like I, it's one of those kind of things that it's like, I can tell that story and it's still going to mean the same thing, whether somebody watched it or not, you know? And and uh, same with with our whole conversation. You know, we've talked a lot about loss and gain, and um, I think you, you always find it back. You know, it always comes back full circle. And as creators, you can't ever hold on to that. We got to be. Uh, well, I love the show Ted Lasso. I don't know. If Me you've too. Seen it. It's the best. Uh, it's the best. But he has this line of "be a goldfish." You know, it's like use it in the sense of like forget and move on. Like you're gonna keep growing and you're gonna keep creating, and that's what you got to hold on to. Um, more or less the things that get taken from you, whether it's my basketball career or like the short film, like I, I feel like you, you lose things in life and, and I try not to, to sit in that, you know, I try to accept it for what it was and, and grow from it. You know, you want to try to be, just keep making more. I mean, that's the fun part about being creative. We can keep making more, more music, more yeah. films. Yeah. And if we're being honest, the, the, the new stuff is probably better because we were able <laughs> to learn from it and, and we sort of make legend, the stuff of the past, right? Like right. We, we do make legend. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. Um, correct me if I'm wrong and, and you're free just to avoid this altogether and not answer this. Um, 
I think that uh, you're in a relationship with Ryan Lieber. Is that correct? LeBar. Yeah. LeBar. Oh, thank you for uh, correcting my pronunciation. And I'm sorry, Ryan. Ryan LeBar. He's a technologist, a smart guy, a creative himself. Have you guys made anything together? When I saw his bio, I thought you guys probably should make something together. Yeah. Yeah. So he, um, we have made things together. So we, he comes from, um, theater. That was his background. He studied theater in college and stuff, but he ended up falling in love with technology and he's always built computers growing up. He got into VR and started his own VR company, um, right out of school. And when I met him, he had owned that company and their company, we actually have a really cute story. We met in Chicago in a movie theater. I was doing a show there and he lived there at the time. And he happened to sit beside me in this theater (laughs) and, uh, he left me his movie ticket at the end of the theater, just stopped me and said, Hey, open this later. And how it was a David Lynch. It was a Holland drive. So for all you David Lynch fans, it was a David Lynch movie thon, but I had never seen it. And I lived in California and I was like, I got to go see this movie. And he was, coincidentally, we found out he was planning on moving to LA with his company. And um, we met and I I liked the the note was like, you're cute. Can we see another movie? Like, and he left his number. And uh, I loved the gesture, even though I knew I didn't live in Chicago. I was like, hey, let's just meet this guy. And I did. And and it was so serendipitous. But um, we obviously fell in love and we're still together. And, you know, he moved to LA and he had a VR company and they wanted to move to LA for all the creative reasons. Um, and so we just kept dating and early in our relationship, he loved that I designed, he was familiar with what I do. And I ended up designing one of their projects. Um, the company is still around. He's not with the company anymore, but they're called Embody labs. Um, and they're a healthcare VR company that kind of brings experiences, um, to people who want to understand those who have, um, uh, memory loss or whatever, like you can put on a headset and kind of have more empathy to those, to those people. So it's a health case, healthcare based uh, company um, that Ryan came to LA with. They started with these two other fellows, but they ended up leaving because he uh, wanted to tell more stories. And I think that was more of a healthcare based company. Um, And after that, we got together and he loves again, merging technology, VR, um, he was, uh, into just, yeah, emerging technology. So we got on a movie called mouse guard Mm. that, uh, was a really fun movie. He actually got on it first. Somebody had hit me up and said, Hey, we're looking for uh, what they were looking for at the time was a digital asset manager. And and on these big shows are kind of the ones who run the pipeline of all your assets on a show. And mouse guard was a fully animated, it was an animated movie built in Unreal, which is a game engine yep. shot with mocap people. And the people were, the movie itself were about mice. Mouse Guard was based on a comic book um, uh, series and it's still around. Uh, and Fox was making it. It was a medieval mice movie with mice killing mice. <laughs> it, was, it was very exciting, but it was cute. It was, it was, it was really true to it's what it was, what it was. And um, we were 90% there of finishing the movie so he's he got on it i came on as an assistant art director at the time and it was really cool to work on this movie we're like we're so excited to finish this we'll get to go to premiere together like all these things that was the year that disney acquired fox and they found out we were trying to get so far we were trying to finish before the acquisition and we couldn't finish and and disney when they acquired fox canned the movie Uh. and it is yet and so that hard drive uh, that movie is sitting 
with whoever owns the rights now to the to the story. And I'm waiting the for the day. I have no. It's the producers. I think it, it, Disney owned it. They acquired it, but they ended up didn't want. They didn't. They didn't want to put it out, and they didn't want to make it. They didn't want to spend the money to finish the film. And they tried to. They pitched it around town, but I guess no one. No one. It was very expensive. They were selling it for a very high price, and I know no one got it. So I have no idea where it is to this day. But I've heard rumors. Every now and then, I hear a rumor that it's going to come out of the woodwork, and uh, it's called love Mouth to Park. see it. Mouse Guard. It's uh, the director was Wes Ball. He did um, uh, oh gosh, he did Tron, I believe, or what? Not Tron. It was um, he's I think he's doing the new uh, Planet of the Apes. Um, but he's oh, a goodness. great, yeah. He's he's a very tech guy. So him and Ryan really bonded because they were really about Unreal and using this engine to build a movie. Now, like that's kind of our future of filmmaking. Is like, you know, I'm working on. Um, on this volume at with the Mandalorian crew and at um, Manhattan beach studios where you can shoot on an led screen yep. and you don't need a blue screen anymore. You can just throw content up into this world that you've created digitally and move a rock five feet. If you need to, you know, you can make those yeah. changes now on the fly. It's, it's unbelievable. That's taking the world that's taking the entertainment industry by storm. Right. Uh, there's, there's a guy down in Arkansas named Nathaniel Nuon, who's a filmmaker. He made the movie voices he has a massive LED screen and does commercials and the applications of this are crazy. And these studios are getting built all over now because the yeah. proof of concept is there. And once a model is proven, then people will just copy. And, and it's amazing. I saw an application for a Jeep commercial. So before mm. in the past, yeah. they would have had to build some fake set and roll in the Jeep and all this stuff, or they would have had to do an outdoor shoot where the yeah. Jeep's rolling through. Now they basically put a foreground set with the Jeep kind of like parked half on the ground, half on a rock yeah. with some yeah. like fake cactus around it. And yeah. then basically Arizona behind it on an LED screen that was photorealistic. Yeah, it's, it's really cool tech. And so now Ryan is with uh, Unity and Unity made uh, The Lion King. They're a competitor mm -hmm. to Unreal and Epic. Um, yeah. And Unity is doing some pretty cool stuff. So he's a senior producer with them now. We both work kind of in that creative space. And um, I'm sure we'll work on another project. I'm always uh, joking with him that we should do a play since he comes from theater. I think it'd be really <laughs> fun. I'd love to design a stage play, but um, we'll see, you know. I, I, I can't wait to check it out. I mean, I love the <laughs> sort of creative unions and what can come out of it because uh, if you spend enough time with a person, you start to speak the same language. Uh, I can say mm -hmm. that having spent a lot of time with my, my business partner, Nick, it's like we kind of can finish each other's sentences. We know where we're going and we never uh, tear each other apart when a mistake is made. So mm -hmm. it's it's like we get it. We know where we're coming from yeah. and there's a, there's a nice flow there. Um, what are the two best pieces of advice? you've received mm. in your career so far and who did they come from? Knowing is half the battle mm -hmm. is one of the best pieces of advice. Um, it came from my middle school basketball coach, coach Aiken, shout out to coach Aiken back in North Carolina. Um, and my, my high school coach, coach Fuller. Um, and knowing it is half the battle is just so important. If you can understand your situation, you can make better choices, right? Like being informed, yep. like ask questions, like let's not, assume and go blindly into creative decisions or any decision in life. Right. Like, um, so knowing is half the battle is one that I, I just, I love. Um, and honestly speak life and not death like hmm. that just speak life into people. 
I think fuels creative opportunities and culture in such a way that I, and so many times in our industry, we're like, no, that's wrong. And, and I'm like, we're making art. How is it wrong? Like there's better decisions, but right. yeah. like it's not black and white. And I think that we like speaking life into, Oh, that's a good idea. Like, let's elaborate on that. Or have we thought about this? It's yes. And it's improv. It's, it's, we're figuring this out as we go. And I know there are certain stories that you want to tell as a creator and you want to make sure everybody gets it right. Um, but being open-minded to the fact of it, the creative process and respecting the creative process and how it works. Like you'll get that. You could still get to the same point. Um, and I think we can do that by only encouraging each other. Cause like you said, like, I love what you said about you and your partner. Like you don't hammer each other on mistakes yeah. cause you, you work out of fear and not out of positivity. And when you work out of fear, that's where more mistakes happen, right? Like I, I, I don't like that in a work environment. I try to cultivate a culture around everyone from the PAs that I'm working with to the director, to everybody. It's like, let's empower each other. Let's bring out the best and try to get the best out of people. So speaking life and not death is probably one that I also would try to, I don't know if those are advice, but like, oh, it's beautiful. Quotes, um, and also just go for it. I guess the advice part, go for it whatever you want to do, go for it. Like I'm, I'm all about just following your dreams and your ambition as we probably can conclude at the end of this. I'm like, go for it. Yeah. I, I love, I love both of those pieces of advice and speak, speak life and not death is people don't even realize how cynical they're being. A lot of times you can sort of shield and hide cynicism and humor. And so, Oh, I'm a humorous person. I'm not cynical. No, you're kind of cynical with your humor. Uh, and, and maybe, 10% more optimism would be, would be great. Um, which creatives do you most admire and want to emulate and, and what do they do from a technical or skill standpoint that uh, sets them apart? Mm. So one of the creatives I love working with is a uh, Taika Waititi. Ooh. I have, um, he's one of my favorite directors. He's a eccentric human being, but <laughs> in kind of a really fun, creative way. Um, so I, one of my favorite movies of all time is boy. By him. It's one of his earlier films. It's an indie film. He made it um, kind of based on his childhood and upbringing. It's based in New Zealand. Uh, brilliant film. I love the way he tells stories from a child's perspective um, and stays true to what that is. Um, and, but I was obsessed because I love that movie. I was like, I want to read his script. Like, how could he write like such, how yeah. could he write the story? Like, it's so good. Like creatively from, from the editing to like the way the actor delivers the line or the, or the set, the sets are just kind of in this Wes Anderson whimsical <laughs> feel, but it, but it aids the story. It doesn't distract you from the story. Yeah. Um, and where I worked with him on next goal wins, um, which is hopefully going to be coming out at the end of this year. I know he's been a busy man, but uh, we've done reshoots and uh, I know that that's coming out soon. So you guys have to check that out. It's a soccer movie that we shot in New Ze uh, in Hawaii, sorry, for American Samoa. And the story is about an American Samoan soccer team. It's a comedy. It's a coming of age or not a coming of age, but it's a comedy drama kind of based on a coach uh, who's trying to find his way as well. He's kind of a lost uh um, very, he has a big ego coming into the story, like of what he thinks soccer is and football is to, and I think these American Samoans kind of change his mind, but, um, working with Taika directly, it was just so creative to watch him not have a, pro it's like almost, he has a process and not having a process. Like yeah. he would have come to set and just 
on the fly, like be able to guide the actor or an actor would say something. He's like, Oh, we're using that. That's great. Like he completely rewrites everything all the time. And it's, it's chaos, but in a way that is just so honest because it's happening in real time that you can't, you wouldn't be able to capture that on camera if you premeditated that, you know what I mean? And um, watch it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but that was also challenging from the art department side is we, you have to give, you know, you want to give him sets that he can create that magic in. Cause he's not going to know what chair he wants. You know, you know, like here's some options. <laughs> you got to give him a world. Let's give him the realistic world from every perspective. And then you can really bring out whatever you need. Yeah, I'm so gonna um, I'm going to check him out and can't wait to see the movie. Cause I'm, I'm not familiar with the work, but it sounds like it's worth digging into for sure. Yeah. He's done. I mean, he did what we do in the shadows. Um, he just directed the new Thor movie, but, uh, his, in, his, his personal work, like what we do in the shadows or our flag means death is uh, coming out soon. Okay. Or it just came out. Uh, it's an, it's on HBO max. So his, his work is out there, but the, the smaller pieces are really worth a watch. Um, for sure. And I feel like I know the title, what we do in the shadows. I'm yeah. It's a, yeah, it's on. I think it's on FX. Um, yeah, I'll have to check it out. I feel like I know that one. So it's weird because sometimes you'll end up knowing somebody's work, but you don't know their it's their work. You know? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. What a, what Jojo a Rabbit's discovery. a good one too. Jojo Rabbit. Yeah. Oh shit! Yeah. No, I know this person. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm like, you insane. Know Delete yeah. everything I just said. I love Jojo Rabbit. <laughs> yeah. Jojo Rabbit was one of my favorite movies. Yep. Uh, yeah. when it came out and um, it was one of those movies that made me laugh and cry. Yeah. That's hard to yeah. do. Yeah. It's hard. It's uh he really got into the story. Like again, the perspective of which he tells the story is, is a really cool thing to see. And for me learning as just a filmmaker, like I, I do design and I art direct, but just telling I, at the core, I just want to tell stories. So watching him tell stories is a really oh, cool. He's, yeah. Yeah. He's, yeah. I had a brain fart. He's a genius. All right. Let's just, <laughs> let's just leave it at that. And, and hopefully everyone will forgive me in film world. Yeah, uh, yeah. If you had a month to teach someone how to be a great product or just a production designer or do mm-hmm. art design, what would mm-hmm. be the first three things you'd teach them? Mm, oh, that's a tough question. How the first thing is how to get, how to sell your ideas, right? Like Mm. how can you get, um, oh, there's this book that I am brain farting on, but it's a, how to make friends and, or how to influence people and make friends too. Do you know what book I'm talking about? I think it's the Carnegie book, how to make friends and influence people. Yes. Right. It's like how in this industry, we're working with so many creatives and you're, how can you, um, the more you can kind of understand how to present an idea and how to pitch it correctly. Cause you have an idea, but it's all about how I deliver it to you. And you could right. take it completely different way than the way I'm delivering it. Um, Cause you'll have your own interpretation and your own experiences. So um, I try to, for me, it's like when I do things like that, I try to pitch decks. Like I'm a really good graphic designer. So I like to think that I can graphically and visually show you kind of what I'm pitching for a movie or film. Um, so it's like, really, how do you, uh, as a biggest device, as a designer for trying to learn is like, how can you help sell your ideas? You know, it's kind of like, what, what kind of stories are you trying to tell with, with what you're given? 
Uh, second piece is you're only as good as the people you surround yourself with. So learn to surround yourself with a really good team and don't be intimidated. Don't have, like, who cares? You know, you may be really good at people skills and you have no idea how to build a set. So hire the best set designer, hire a really good art director, hire the best, you know, construction team. And then they'll be able to build it for, you, you know, it's like, or maybe you're the best set designer, but you need someone to help you in the meetings. So hire a good art director who can help pitch these ideas or like a great graphic designer who could put your deck together. You know, it's like, you're only as good as your team. So second piece of advice is that. And then I'd say the third piece of advice is to just dive into this. This might be the third thing you teach them. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Teach. Yeah. Yeah. Teach. The third thing I would teach is, um, Ooh, the third thing. Yeah. The third thing I would teach, I guess I kind of lost track of the teaching point. No, it's okay. (laughs) Yeah. Um, the third thing I would teach is how to, um, so anytime when we're in the arts department, we're constantly trying to organize, uh, a set and how it's built, drawn and paint colors. So the things that are invaluable is how do you present that information to your team? So if I were to do a document that shows this is how the set's getting built. Here are your paint colors. It's like your, your plans, right? Like here are your set design plans. We want these materials. It's your call outs for different, um, needs, whether it's, we need to get these materials on this wall, this color paint, this, the better organized, cause there's so many moving parts with the set, whether it's the set dressing fixtures, lighting, um, and then construction, the plans to build, how can you, do these documents to better help a team achieve the goal. Right. So that's a skill set that's definitely, you need to get taught because there's, I mean, there's different ways to do it and um, everyone has their own style, but it's like, if you can have a piece of paper and hand it to anyone, they should be able to know what to do with it. Um, Mm. And that's an invaluable skill set, right. It's like, how can you better distribute information where there's, of course you want questions and I always love questions because I want, you may see things differently, but at the same time, I want all the information there to, to know how to ask the right questions. Perfect. Um, and so yeah. for those keeping score at home, number one is learn how to, or she'll teach you. Francis will teach you how to sell your ideas. <laughs> she will yet. teach you how to surround yourself with incredible people because you're only as strong as your team. And then the third thing she'll teach you, if you want to do production design is, how to create a set document that communicates everything that you're trying to communicate and do in a very succinct and clean way. And that's amazing. I, I think you've been so generous with your time, Francis, and in the stories you've been able to tell are, are have just really warmed my heart and touched me and made me think uh, I have some really quick speed round questions and we'll get you out of here. And so this is a little game. We'll try to go as fast as we can with the question and answer. All right. Question one. Are you a hat lady? Yes. Is your favorite food spaghetti? Spaghetti. <laughs> yes. What's your favorite musical group? Ooh, uh, uh, like artist, you mean? Mm-hmm. Brandy Carlo. Brandy Carlo. Ooh, nice. Uh, what's, uh, been your favorite foreign trip? Mm, uh, Norway. Ooh, Norway. I'm going to write that down. Beautiful. For my own purposes. What's next for Francis Hernandez? 
I am finishing the show and I'm going on vacation. <laughs> and I am Where very are you going excited. This time? I am going to Italy with one oh. of my girlfriends. I'm so excited. Um, rarely do we really take time off and take trips for me. And this is a for me trip for sure. I need it. <laughs> what part of Italy? Uh, all over. We're gonna, I'm going to explore. I'm going to Rome, Florence, uh, Cinque Terre, Venice, all over. And I, I but honestly, though, I'm going for the spaghetti. I'm going for the. <laughs> I, I'm going to eat my way through. You may, you're just going to see. It's going to be a food blog on my social media for the Thank day. Thank you for <laughs> saying that. Up. Thank you for saying that. Yes, I'm down for the history. Yes, I'm down for the culture. Yes, I will walk through a cathedral, but all. All, all, only to get to the food. And I think the food will tell you everything you need to know about yeah. everything. Oh, right? Beautifully said. Beautifully yeah. said. I, I want to have the whole food experience. And through that, I will know the people <laughs> and the culture and everything else. I, I'm with you. Yes, uh, sir. Francis, I, I hope you have a great time on vacation. You've been awesome. Can, can you tell this audience where to find you on social media so they can follow your food blog? And where they might uh, find you on the internet or maybe even see some of your work. And then can you just Definitely. promo some of the films you have coming out? There's so many. Yeah. So uh, Francis, uh, Francis Hernandez.com is my website. Um, you can check out some of my latest work on there. Um, Francis Lenny L Y N N I E E on Instagram. Um, and Francis, by the way, is spelled with an E F R A N C E S. A lot of people think it's with an I, but it's with an E. Um, and, uh, I'm pretty much only on Instagram. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited. My next project, I don't, I don't know what my next project is going to be yet. I'm really looking forward to taking a much needed break. Um, I think there is a thing of being burned out in this industry. We work 14 hour days and it's, it's rough. So I think as much as I pour into this, I'm going to take some time to pour into my own projects and my own little artsy, you know, my home and my relationships and my well-being. So I think um, that's kind of what's next. But I do have um, house parties coming out. We've got uh, Next Goal Wins is coming out. So you guys got to check out those two films. And uh, and then eventually Ahsoka in 2023, hopefully. So I love it. And um, we'll end on this. Any thoughts about Brittany Griner? Oh man, I, I feel for her. I am so ready to bring her home. And it's, it's just hard to really understand because again, like if this were LeBron James or anyone else, he, they would be here already. Um, it's just hard, uh, to see other women struggle, um, especially right now in politics and the, and the unfortunate circumstances she's in, but, um, dearly missed, I know in the community of women's basketball and sports in general, and in some, love to love to get that that girl home and playing basketball like what she's supposed to be doing right now yeah i wanted to ask you that just because i know you have a unique take having played yeah. ball overseas professionally yeah is there anything that as a lay audience we wouldn't know about that that you might know from that experience you know it's it's crazy because when you go play overseas you're putting you're in, as much as they're investing in you and bringing you as a professional athlete to their country you're trusting them and I, so I played in Kuwait and in Dubai and in the Middle East, and I was terrified to go over there. 
like, yeah. who are these people? Like I, I was very, you know, you don't know, you only know what you know from the, so from the media and whatever. And it's like, I had friends who were there and they were comforting me saying like, Oh, it's going to, they'll take care of you. They'll put you up. They're going to give you a car. They're going to wine and dine you. It's going to be great. The package is amazing. And so you get this package and you, you trust these people and to watch, I mean, I just, I feel for her because I can't imagine trusting this program that brought me over there from the Russian side of things. And then for like, like, sure, we can look at America all you want, but she also put trust into a, a summer program that she had to, she had to go do because the WNBA is not paying her enough. Like that's crazy. She's the best basketball player in the league. And yet she has to go pick a side job where yeah. she's now trapped. And it's like, it's just unbelievable. Um, I just feel for her. Cause I, I mean, it was scary for me to go to Kuwait and anything could have happened. Right. And you're at the hands of another country. And I was very, they made me have a relationship with the embassy just for that fact of anything could happen at the same time. I will say Kuwait was an amazing country and I felt perfectly safe. And I got a chance to meet a lot of amazing people, especially women who my teammates on, you know, in, in playing internationally on that team, they, they wore hijabs and they yeah. lived this almost side life. And to watch them in the national team there, they, they range from like their teens to their thirties and forties. And they're like career women are like, they have a job, but they want to play basketball and screw society's rules. Like, you know, they're supposed to stay at home and they're the, the men make money. And then yeah. the that's, it's crazy to see these like inspiring women who just want to come out and play basketball. I mean, there, there was nothing like it. So as much as it's scary going to another country and not, you know, having trust in that, it's also a beautiful experience. So I just, I hate that right now she's on the wrong side of the tracks and I, I really want to get her back because it's, you know, unfair, the situation she's in for sure. Likewise. And we need to keep fighting the good fight, not just for, Brittany, but for anyone that could be in that situation in the future and, and, um, and for each other, because if we don't yeah. speak up for her, then there'll be no one to speak up for us. Absolutely. So I think, uh, those are all great points. I've really enjoyed this conversation, Francis. I hope you have too. And I have, thank I you so much for having me. Yeah. It was an honor talking to you. I think we've covered so much. I feel like we're now friends. <laughs> let's, let's, let's meet up. We next are. Week. We are. we are friends. Yeah, I think we grew so much. <laughs> yeah, I'm taking you and Ryan out for spaghetti the next time in L- I'm in L.A. And hey. we'll, we'll go to some great Italian spot together for hey, sure. Where are, where, are you? Where, are you, where are you based? I'm located in Nashville, beautiful Nashville, Tennessee. But before the pandemic, hey. I used to go to L.A. like every three weeks. Yeah. Well, next time you're here, we'll take you out for sure. I, you got to get some Nashville hot chicken for me. I will. And if you come through, I'll make sure yeah. that, that you go to you'll have the key to the city. Um, <laughs> I'll be there hopefully, uh, hopefully soon. I, I'm hoping to take a fall Southern trip. So I'll let you know. Yeah, absolutely. Because the trap that tourists fall into is they get the wrong hot chicken because everybody serves it now. So there's only uh-huh. a couple of places you can really get it as it turns oh, out. I like it. Yeah. All right. So I, I got right. your back and, and for this audience, thank you for having our back again. If you, um, ever need uh, to find out more about the Make It Podcast and more about Bonsai Creative, you can do that. It's at www.bonsai.film. And of course, this podcast, if you want the show notes, uh, links to anything we talked about and we talked about so, so much, that'll be again at www.bonsai.film forward slash make it, or you can find it on the podcast show notes everywhere you listen to podcasts, Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, you name it. Francis, 
I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Be good. Yeah. Peace. Hey, gang. One more thing before you go. I want to talk to you about Indie Insights. Indie Insights is our bi-weekly newsletter and love note to the film industry, movies, and the creatives that make them, not to mention you, our esteemed listeners. Inside, you'll find curated industry trends, articles, exclusive commentary, and underappreciated films from filmmakers like you worldwide. And the best part is that it's completely free. So join today at www.banzai.film. It just takes a few seconds, and once you sign up, you'll get the very next newsletter. It's that simple. Go to www.banzai.film to get Indie Insights, our bi-weekly newsletter, and join a network of film creatives like yourself. And don't worry, we'll never sell your information or spam you with a bunch of nonsense emails. Just the bi-weekly film industry goodness you need. And if you ever tire of Indie Insights, we hope not. But if you do, simply unsubscribe. No gimmicks, no games. So, one more time, go to www.banzai.film to get Indie Insights for free. And thank you for listening. <laughs>